0: Uh, It's good to be back in the pulpit this morning. I hope uh, you attended to the preaching of of Associate Pastor Brian Spivey last Sunday from Genesis. A good word there, and we'll look forward to more in uh, in that series. We're going back to Paul's New Testament letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and the very last verse of chapter 9. Um, We mentioned it briefly two weeks ago, and I made the comment, it deserves a sermon all its own, so here we go. And uh, we're going to look at that concept of gift, and we're going to trace it out and answer the important questions about it. And as you turn to God's word in 2 Corinthians 9, let me welcome those who may be viewing uh, the live stream at home. We'd love to have you join us here at Clifton Park Community Church uh, in person. And let us love you and welcome you and fellowship with you. I'd like to just read the one verse and then we'll turn to some additional texts. The word of God says this in verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. There are some things that change the course of history, aren't there? In fact, we as Christians know the, the greatest thing that changed the course of history was the, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our calendars, our our digital world is divided between B.C. and A.D. Even though scholars try to change that around and say before Christ, they call it before the common era, um, We know what it marks, the Son of God coming in time and space, and it's changed everything. There are specific news items and world events that change the way we live, and we could go through history. It's a long history, but uh, let me just say in the last hundred years or so, what events have so changed the world that we live differently and things are different because of them. How about if I said October 1917? Anybody have a clue? October 1917? The Russian Revolution? The, the, the blossoming of the weird ideas of Karl Marx and Engels and, and communism taking a, a, a public form? Has communism changed the world? Sadly. And it's still at work. It still motivates the manipulators in Beijing, and it still drives an evil dictator in Russia to rebuild his empire. Some of the other dates you might get, if I said, just in the last 100 years, if I said December 7, 1941, we should all know that. And the younger people, if that date does not ring a bell with you, do your homework. Pearl Harbor, a vicious attack by one nation upon another, and we were the victims, and it unleashed our participation in World War II. Uh, For younger people, perhaps we go to um, 9-11, 2001, which changed our world. It changes the way we travel, not just walking into airports as we once did, or Feeling safe in certain countries. It had a polarizing effect that we live with. And we could go on and on. And of course, we're living in the midst of of a historical event that's changed the world as it hopefully is coming to an end. The COVID pandemic, March 2020, and here it is, March 2022, and it's still lingering. Let's see if the Lord will just put it to death. Let it be so. Well, you know, with the passage of time, even some of these fantastic, amazing, significant events can begin to fade in our thinking. And although at times we say we'll never forget, we forget. And we begin to live life in these different ways and assume that it's always been that way. How many children today will feel comfortable wearing a mask at any time in their adulthood because they just assume that's what people do? The former Saul of Tarsus, graduate student, uh, top-notch guy, people had their eye on him. Saul of Tarsus, one day, we don't know the date, he was traveling. And he met the risen Lord Jesus Christ and knocked him on his behind. And on that road, before the glorious light, blinding light of Jesus, Saul of Tarsus was converted. He became Paul, the apostle. And he lived his life serving Christ instead of persecuting Christ. Paul never forgot that moment. Paul never forgot the the amazing grace that God would show to him, a persecutor of Christians, to make him a servant of Christians. And, And he could write from a prison cell to wonderful believers in Philippi. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. His whole world was changed because of his encounter with Christ. His life, his activities, his wishes, his retirement, his plans, his affections. As he was writing chapter 9 in the letter we're looking at, and he was talking about some practical issues. Let's raise money for the believers in Jerusalem who are really suffering. And he's traveling the world, he's explaining that. And as he finishes that chapter... And thinks about the opportunity we have to give and to bless other believers and to respond if God has blessed us. He can't help but tack on this sentence and say, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. He's talking to Christians about giving. Anti-up guys, we need a lot of money to help those folks. And it's good and proper. He, he puts it in Perspective. All that you are as Christians, all that you have is from the hands of a gracious God. The gift of God. And Paul couldn't stop talking about it. It would find its way into all his letters. I guess I want to ask as a pastor this morning, as we dwell on this wonderful verse, and as we run it down in several scriptures, let me ask you. Do you... Proclaim Christ, do you live in such a changed way that you can't help speak of what God has given to you? Or have we forgotten? And we go about life. Less aware than we should be of the inexpressible gift that you have been given. I've been following the the postings of Jim Mancuso after his seizure, his brain tumor discovery, and he's he's back in many ways to being himself, although he's got treatments and a long road ahead of him. He has a new lease on life, and he is filled and overflowing with gratitude and thanksgiving. If you know a cancer survivor, they never forget that day. Cancer-free, and they're by the grace of God going forward. Christian, if you've been forgiven your sins and if you've been born again and you've been given an inheritance and life and help and the indwelling spirit, should we not live with a perspective that we ever praise and thank God for that gift and tell others about it? Or is that component missing from our lives? That's what we're going to talk about. We'll come back to answer those questions, I hope. The first heading this morning is: I need to point out, as uh, you may be suspecting, ignorance of the gift of salvation is is prevalent in our society. Most people, even when they live in Christian lands or live in the proximity of churches or they've even been to a church, they don't really understand what this gift is and the salvation that it brings. Millions and millions have no clue what Paul's talking about. What did God give? What did God do? Why is it called a gift? And is this for me? People are clueless. Ignorance abounds. I want to highlight this by looking at three different verses from the Gospel of John. Let's start in John chapter 4. And you may know what uh, you'll find in John chapter 4. Jesus is talking with the woman at the well. I don't know if you remember your Sunday school lessons or like me, you became a Christian long after your childhood and you had to read the Bible as a young adult. John chapter 4, Jesus and his wonderful discussion with the woman of Samaria. She was a Samaritan, which wasn't a good thing in in the ancient world if you were Jewish, but Jesus talks to her and they have this conversation. He meets her at the well in the heat of the day. When most people aren't there unless they're traveling and they don't have a choice, the the regular women of the town would have come to draw from the well in the cool of the morning and then go back. But this woman, for some reason, was feeling separated from community life and she had some skeletons in her closet. She just didn't want to be around other people. So she comes to draw water in the heat of the day and that's where Jesus encounters her. John chapter 4, we pick up the story in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And here's the key verse. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God. And who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Do you remember this exchange? Do you remember now that the, the concept of a gift is mentioned? She goes on to say, You don't have a bucket that wells deep. How can you give me any water? She doesn't really understand, she's ignorant. There is an ignorance in the world. People people are willing to talk about spirituality, but they don't know the spirit of God or the word of God. She goes on when she realizes he's religious, and that's where the conversation's going. She says, hey, should we worship on this mountain, or should we worship in Jerusalem? She can talk religion until it gets personal. There's an ignorance in the world, even among those who have certain spiritual impulses. And this woman at the well, and she's standing in front of Jesus, the Son of God, and doesn't get it, who he is. Because we'll find out those things are spiritually discerned. So although you may meet someone who can talk about spirituality and talk about worship or ethics, They may be completely ignorant of who Jesus is, why he came, and the offer of salvation by grace alone through faith alone. That's the reality of the world. This woman illustrates that. We'll refer to her a couple more times, but let me take you to chapter 1 of John. Because this ignorance of the gift of salvation uh, isn't just uh, this Samaritan woman. But even the Jews of Jesus' day, you would think the Jews, they had the Torah, they had the, the temple, they had scribes and Pharisees and all these folks. But in the introduction to John's gospel in chapter 1 beginning in verse 9, we see this broad explanation of the context into which Jesus came. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And even more so, verse 11, he came to his own. His own things, his own people, the Jewish people. He came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. We're highlighting the ignorance. Even the Jewish people of the day who had not just a religion, they had the one true religion in the world. They had the books of Moses. They had the prophecy that God gave to Moses. I will raise up a prophet like you. They had the prophet Isaiah, who spoke of a virgin conceiving and bearing a son. They had all these things. They even had a prophecy about the town of Bethlehem, and they could name that when asked. But among these religious people, they didn't recognize the gift of God when he arrived. And walked among them and ministered to him. They received him not. God's gift was presented And their ignorance and their willful disbelief kept them from Jesus. If you read on through the Gospels, you see that some of Jesus' harshest words, hear me, his harshest words were for religious people who should have known better. And some of his most pointed lessons included Accepting the love from a woman washing his feet with her hair. And he said, she who has been forgiven much, loves much. The religious leaders of the day had a problem with God's gift. It was unopened. It was refused. And they wanted to crush it and deny it to others. Well, whether you were a Samaritan or a Jew, let's turn to John chapter 3. We see that in general, fallen mankind don't like the light. They prefer the darkness. You've heard of John 3.16. You have that here in your Bibles. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why Jesus came. He's the gift. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And here's the kicker, verse 19 of John chapter 3. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's the context. Nevertheless, God gave the gift, even though the world was filled with sin and darkness. He sent Jesus not not to bring about the day of judgment, not just yet. There's two comings of Christ. The first one is to bring salvation. He comes as a gift. And people reject that. When he comes again, it's the day of judgment. To bring all things to their conclusion, to separate the sheep and the goats. That's another sermon. But here we observe from John 3.19 the, the general blindness of mankind to the work of God in the world. The light of the world. Jesus himself. How is there any hope if men love darkness? What's, what's to bring us out of the darkness if we will always turn from the light because of our sinful bent? Ah. One wonderful answer to that is in Paul's letter to 2 Corinthians. Let me just remind you what he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. A lot of page turning today. That'll keep you, keep you busy. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. Is Paul's describing the light of the gospel, the work of the gospel, he's not losing heart, he knows its power. But he said this in verse 6, which really answers the question and the problem of ignorance and darkness. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God can shine in those dark places. And make his gift of salvation irresistible. That's our hope. Although ignorance, blindness, rebellion persist in the world, God still saves men and women, and boys and girls. That woman at the well, she gets converted. Thousands of Jewish people are converted. On the day of Pentecost thousands of people in Jerusalem become disciples of Jesus the one that had just been crucified. God can break through those religious walls and barriers and he continues to do it. But I think we have to acknowledge that. You may go forth from this sermon as I hope you do excited telling others about the gift you've received in Jesus and wanting them to receive it and they may just stand back and go huh. I'm not interested. We have to understand that there is this mindset and this this depraved view of Christ and and people think they can save themselves and they don't have to deal with the reality of a holy God who made them and who will hold them to account. They refuse the gift. So expect that opposition as we share and interact, but persevere. Persevere. Look at Jesus and his patience with the woman at the well. Jesus and his patience with his own disciples. Thomas, John 14, Thomas, don't you know the way to heaven? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Believe in me. Jesus and his patience. Well, let's get to the heart of the matter. The nature of this gift. The nature of salvation as a gift. Because that's what we're talking about. God gives the Savior. God gives salvation. This is the gift What's the nature of it? When we ask that, we're saying, what's it taste like? What's it look like? What's it feel like? How does it work? And what is it? Right? The nature of salvation. I I just want to, it's such a broad topic. Let's just look at three parts. First, we're going to talk about the given and then the received nature. So we see how this gift and this giving work. First, the Son of God is graciously given. To save us. What's given? Who's given? The Son of God. We read John 3.16. We should know that. God gave his Son. God gives himself. By the way, the name of Jesus. What does that name mean? Do you recall? Do you remember there seemed to be an angel talking to Joseph who was engaged to Mary uh, to Mary? And the angel had to explain to uh, Joseph, she's, she's pregnant, of the Holy Spirit. And when the child is born, you will give him the name Jesus. And the angel tells us why. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 1. But as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He's the gift and the very name of Jesus points to that gift. How sad it is when the world is groping for a cuss word to express their anger, frustration, or their rage, and they use the name of Jesus. That's sin. That's depravity. Pray for them. Tell them to open the gift, not to abuse it. The Son of God graciously is given to save us the person and work of Jesus is at the center of the gospel. Christians are all about the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. We preach the gospel. Paul in First Corinthians chapter fifteen wanted to remind those cosmopolitan believers, surrounded by a, a very worldly city, about the gospel. What's the message? What's our theme? What's our um, how does a corporation put it? Our mission statement. Our focus. And so he wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, great language, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. It sounds like he's about to explain the gift, the nature of the gift. What is Corinthians 1 Corinthians 15 go on to say, he talks about first importance. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ was raised. The resurrected Christ was seen. What is he saying? He is saying at the heart of our gospel, the heart of this gift is the person and work of Jesus. Many of us love doctrine and we love to read theology and talk theology and the nuances of it. But my friends, the heart and soul of Christianity and this gift is the person and work of Jesus. We should understand that and be changed by it. So when Paul gets to 2 Corinthians 9.15 and says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. He's thinking of the gift of the son. He's thinking of Jesus and, and earlier in this second letter, he had summarized that great gift in in 2 Corinthians 8-9. It's one of those verses you really should underline, and it should jump off the page when you see it. That's what Paul has in mind. In 8-9, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The gospel transaction, that's a gift. That is fantastic. It is Given by God. Jesus does what needs doing. That's the gospel gift. And you see the world has it all backwards in their ignorance. They think, oh, if I want any hope of heaven, I better get to church and do what the religious people do. And, and maybe someday I can get to heaven. They think about what they have to do. And they think about the, the, the commandments and the doing and the doing and the doing. The first observation about this gift, it's what God has done, what God has given. Never forget how generous and gracious and merciful our God is. And he still is today. And you know, Jesus said something, perhaps you, you know, John six forty four. It comes up in many dialogues about how Salvation is accomplished. John 6, 44, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. No one can come unless the Father draws him. God is the Savior. Christianity isn't about how you can save yourself. No. It's a gift. It's given. It's what God has done in time and space. History confirms it. And the changed lives... That have received that gift, confirm it. The second thing about the nature of salvation as a gift is how it's received. It's received by faith. That's an important word in Christianity, isn't it? It's an important word in the New Testament, faith. I hope you understand that and I hope you exercise that. The gift is received not by jumping through all the hoops of the law so that you become worthy. No, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. Let me take you to Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, where Paul speaks directly to this point. How is this gracious gift received? What do we do to make it our own? How can I take it home and have it and put my name on Christ, even as he puts his name on me? It's by faith. Second uh, Ephesians two: eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is what? The gift of God. Do you think the Bible is consistent here? Salvation, what Christianity is about is a gift. It's about what God's giving away. I know as a young pastor, I got very excited whenever I'd see a giveaway for a book, I'd try to enter it. Now I have so many books, I don't enter those anymore. I say, I hope some other fellow gets the book that he needs. This gift is life-changing. It changes eternity for whoever receives it. Back to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, comma, verse 9. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You can't come with your religious resume. I was still trying to put my arms around that when as a new convert I went to college and showed up at an university meeting and, and started laying out my resume. Yeah, I, I'm a new Christian, but I grew up in the church. I, I own a Bible and it's called a Sunday school Bible. A teacher Bible. It has little helps in it. So I could be really useful to you. I was, I was full of my meager works. In what I wanted to do. And I was so thankful for the patience and grace of other Christians who, in our fellowship, reminded me that uh, my standing isn't by my works, but by Christ. And helped me personally as well as helped my theology. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. If you have any hope of being right with God, It's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done. And whether you receive that by faith, you say simply, Lord, I believe. I repent of my sins, saving myself, and I believe on Christ. Lord, change my heart. Give me this gift. Help me to receive this gift by faith, by believing you and taking you at your word. Charles Spurgeon was preaching about the woman at the well. There's a whole sermon on that. The woman at the well and her response. And he describes how the Lord worked with her. Listen, the Savior assured her that her salvation was the gift of God, freely given, not because it's deserved, but because God delights to bless even the unthankful and even evil people. Given not because of penances or austerities or myriads of prayers or floods of tears, but freely given to every soul that is willing to accept it by faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, if many knew this, said Spurgeon, they would seek to have it, but they do not know what salvation is, and they do not know that it is to be had for nothing, and to be had on the spot. As a preacher of this gospel, I can say to you present or you watching, if you bow and call upon the Lord you shall be saved the gift is yours and your life will never be the same believe God believe his word this gift is here to be received by faith not through tears not through reforming your life It's a wonderful hymn, Rock of Ages, number 204 in our hymnal. We're not going to sing, but do you remember these lyrics? It's Charles Wesley, who was so wonderfully converted, wrote. um, Excuse me, I'm on the wrong page. Here we go. And it is uh, Toplity, it's not Wesley. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal... No respite, no, never take a break. Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. This gift is received by faith. You remember the Jews in their ignorance? We mentioned them earlier. He came to his own, his own received him not. Paul would explain that later on in the heart of Romans 9, 10, and 11 as he talks about the mysterious relationship between God and the Jews and then the Gentiles coming in. There's a comment in Romans 9 that says Israel um, did not receive Christ and did not obtain salvation uh, apart from him. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, Romans 9.32, but as if it were based on works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. That's why I'm hammering it again and again and again today. Salvation is a gift. It's nothing that you work to achieve. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You never could. So get over that. And as a sinner, receive that gift by faith. That's the Bible's message. That's what the listening world needs to hear. Well, there's one more thing about this gift and its nature. How would we describe it? I would describe it as A life changing gift. The believing sinner is changed by this gift. It's given by grace, it's received by faith, and it changes the recipient. It changes the recipient. Yes, I know when uh, grandparents can give a grandchild a noisy toy, the little toddler, instead of being cute, becomes annoying. Do you remember that one toy? This is an old toy. You'd roll it on the ground and things would pop up and it would be like a kid's vacuum cleaner. One of the noisiest toys ever invented. Um, And that can that can really change. Once a child has received a noisy gift, they're going to be a noisy child until it breaks. Once a Christian has received Christ and that gift is active in his life, you are changed. You're no longer the same. Do you remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? Maybe you don't because we didn't read that far. But he goes on in John 4, I think it's uh, just a few verses later, he says, uh, you would ask, uh, no, I better check. It is in John 4 in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So John 4.10 isn't simply about the ignorance of The woman didn't know who Jesus was, that he was the gift. But Jesus talks about the nature of that gift. He's not talking about literal water at a well in the ancient world. He's talking about the change that wells up within a fountain of life within the believer. The change that this gift brings. Power to do what's right and say no to temptation and said, Rather than being enslaved, I don't have to say yes to that temptation. I can say no with the help God provides. And I can walk uprightly. I can serve God's glory instead of my own. The believing sinner is changed by this gift. And streams of living water flow out of us. We're given the Holy Spirit. And we begin to look more like the man of Psalm 1. Like a tree planted by streams of living water whose leaf does not wither and it bears fruit. The believing sinner is changed. And this theme, yes, Paul would write about in 2 Corinthians as he was going through. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Newness. A new start. A new lease on life. Not just surviving a cancer surgery or being cancer free and having a new lease on life. That's all good. But this is freedom from sin and death. You will live forever and you'll have an inheritance in heaven. And you can now know God and live to serve him. What a gift. A life changing gift. And you would think you would be able to see those who received it. And you'd be able to tell by their life and their passion that it's the most precious thing in their possession. Oh, what a beautiful, brief parable. The pearl of great price. The pearl merchant, upon finding that pearl, sold all that he had that he could have it. That's what we're talking about. Your life is changed. And it is spent on Christ. Well, let me give a few applications as we draw to a conclusion this morning. This last heading is intended to be, what should our response be to the gift of salvation? I want to be explicit. There's a lot of being explicit this morning. First, the word grow. What's the right response to receiving this gift of salvation? It's the word grow. And I would say grow in your knowledge of the Savior. Again, in that comment Jesus made to the woman at the well, he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's talking to you, your life would be different. I would submit to you, my friends, some of you have been Christians longer than me, Continue to grow in your knowledge of Christ, of the Savior, so that you don't miss out on his help and blessings. What a mistake it is for anyone to think, oh, I got saved back in the day and they've never given Christ a thought since. Are they really saved? Are they really adopted and in a relationship with God if they've given no further thought? Oh, yeah, I was saved. I think I was even baptized maybe way back when. Now, the gift of God brings about the fruit of a godly life, a changed life and a life that hungers and thirsts after the knowledge of the Lord. Paul was praying for the church in Ephesus, and this is what he wrote to them as he told them what he prayed for. Ephesus, one of the most established and healthy churches of the ancient world, by the way, really a primo church, he wrote to them and said that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's how he prayed for Christians to continue to know Christ because it's all about him and he's what we need he's what you need you may have said oh I've tried Christianity I tried these churches it's just not it work well have you tried Christ have you studied Christ have you got to know him have you read his teachings have you spent time speaking to him he's alive and well by the way Pray to him, ask him to reveal himself to you and and show you the way you should live to help you, to give you wisdom. The men that Jesus sent who wrote the Bible like James say, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who freely gives. Jesus cares for us and he gave us a book, the Bible with all these letters and parts so that we'd grow in our understanding of who he is. And what he has done. So grow in your knowledge. Let me press this home. Someone named Ronald Dunn said, Everything in the Christian life depends upon an adequate understanding of who God is. Elizabeth Elliott, you've heard of her, she said, The recognition of who God is is a lifelong process. And A.B. Simpson said, The larger the God we know, the larger will be our faith. The secret power in our lives, he says, is to know God and expect great things from him. Are you growing in your knowledge? Do you study the Bible or just read the Bible? Do you know the difference? Oh, you know the difference. And if you just read it to add a little religious work to your life, that's... Not why you should read it. Oh, I, I, I feel like I'm separated from God. I'm going to read the Bible so that I have something to show him. Look, I'm reading. It can become a work. God loves you because of Christ and his work. We should be getting to know Christ by reading and studying the word of God. When was the last time you memorized a verse of scripture? You should know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You should perhaps study And add more scriptures. Do you read theology? Do you read any of the Christian classics? We have a book table downstairs. Filled with lots of good books. I hope they all disappear today. One of the greatest books. You know I have thousands. One of my top ten books is this book by J.C. Ryle. Holiness. J.I. Packer picked this up. It was a year after World War II. He was a brand new convert, J.I. Packer in England, and he was struggling to know the God he fell in love with, and he wanted to serve, but he needed to know God better. He turned to read some Puritans, and he picked up this book in its first edition, J.C. Ryle of Liverpool, Holiness. Why do we call it a classic? Because it helps Christians across generations to understand our faith. The first chapter's about sin. Be ready for that. What are you doing to grow in your knowledge of the Lord? Come on, what are you doing? Are you reading? Are you studying? Do you bring a pen to church so that you can take notes and write down something God might just happen to teach you in the sermon? What are you expecting as you come to the word of God? John would write in one of his postcards, one of his small epistles, Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. If you know the Lord, you're going to know his commandments and you're going to strive to do them. We need to be growing. Second application, tell others about the Savior. You remember the woman, well, I'm coming one more time. One more time to this unnamed dear Christian woman. Because she did receive Christ and she did uh, no new life and get that living water. John's gospel goes on to tell the rest of the story. Uh, verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked to stay with him and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. Then they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Because the woman of the well started telling people, you won't believe who I just met. You won't believe what's just happened to me. When was the last time you told someone what God has done for you? When? There's only one way for those who walk in darkness to find light. We need to present Christ. We need to preach Christ. We need to share Christ. That's the pattern. If you're a disciple of Christ, you should be living like the disciples of Christ. Do you remember Andrew? John chapter 1 talks of Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. That's why I love the name Andrew. He met Jesus. What's the first thing he does? I got to go get my brother. This is great. You? Or that other disciple, Philip. John chapter 1 continues in that same passage. Uh, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip undeterred said come and see you don't have to preach invite people to come you know they're giving away something at our church this Sunday salvation is being offered your life can be changed that's the mindset we need people the attitude that we have the best gift of all to see people receive so tell others and thirdly give of your resources give of yourself that's the original context for Paul in second Corinthians 9 15 he was talking about raising money for the saints and he reminds them of God's gift to them so one of our responses is giving as well we're not going to take a second offering today so you can give and it's more than just financial giving it's giving of all your resources it's giving of your time and energy Maybe deferring your own plans to serve the Lord in some particular way. There was a great uh, cricket player over in Britain. and Cricket doesn't mean anything else, but, but think of the NBA, like LeBron or something. This guy was uh, Charles T. Studd, C.T. Studd. It was 1860. He was a very famous cricket player, a star, but he gave it up to be a missionary to China. He was one of the Cambridge Seven. Seven men from Cambridge University that went to China because millions had not known about Jesus. You might know him for a poem he wrote. Only one life, twill soon be past; Only what's done for Christ will last. Or a famous statement that someone told me as a new believer, which I can never forget. If Jesus Christ be God and he died for me, no sacrifice on my part can be too much. Give is one of the responses to the gift you've received. Final word. Paul talks this way and we talk this way knowing that we have this treasure in jars of clay. We know our limitations but the good news is the gift it's giving it's receiving is a work of God the gift of God he even gives the gift of faith so that people can receive it thanks be to God for his gift let's pray oh heavenly father we do thank you for the wealth of what you have told us in your word father may we be enriched by the gift of Christ May we have salvation. May we have light instead of darkness. Life instead of death. Joy instead of guilt because of Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, may living waters be at work in us and flow from us. May we tell others. And may we give ourselves to the cause of making Christ known. And Father, from this day forward, may we never forget. May you use this church To bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.